Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what we've just experienced in worship and the testimony, um, Lord, and the testimonies of what you're doing on Wednesday night. We thank you for the baptisms that are going to happen today and how you're moving in these lives of the young adults. And just pray, Lord, keep it up, Lord. Keep it up. Keep moving. Keep moving in this city. Keep moving in this valley and drawing people to yourself. And Lord, as we go to your word this morning, we trust your Holy Spirit's going to be working in our hearts and helping us understand. And we invite you to do that. We ask you to do that. We need it, Lord. We need your help to understand the riches of your word. So open our hearts, open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, to see what you have for us. Thank you, Lord, for this time of worship and time of, of getting in your word. And thank you for each one that's come, Lord. Bless each one. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And just a, a reminder, I think Luke mentioned it, but we do have that potluck coming up next week. So bring a side dish to share. The church provides the main, the main, uh, the meat. And um, I think we're going to have a few portobello mushrooms for the vegans and uh, and. Uh, drinks as well. So just bring a side dish to share and we're going to have a good time of fellowship. And a big part of it is so everyone can get to know one another because we have so many new people in the church now and um, they've promised me that they're going to go sit beside somebody they don't know and share their testimony of what God's been doing in their lives. And, and, uh, and I ask you to share your testimony with them as well. So plan on that next week, staying for a, a good meal together. Today we are in Galatians chapter 1 and verses 11 to 24. So in honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read this passage? Galatians chapter 1 from verse 11 through 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I may preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none other apostles except James, the Lord's brothers. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. 
So Paul began his letter to the churches of Galatia unlike any of his other letters. He was shocked that they were so quickly turning away from, from the grace, the gospel of grace to, to works, to obeying the laws of Moses as a necessity for their salvation. And that nullified Paul's message of grace alone in Christ alone. Paul even promised, uh, pronounced a curse upon all who would teach this kind of false doctrine. And in doing so, he was comparing those who distort this gospel of grace with the false prophets in the Old Testament. Verse 11 again says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. And indeed, egocentric mankind would never come up with a religion in which you have to humble yourself and admit that you can do nothing and only rely on the mercy and grace of God. We just don't think like that. Nor would we ever admit that we're such sinners that eternal damnation is the only appropriate justice for us. Nor would we conclude that, the, that, the, that only the horrible suffering and death on the cross by one who would be so gracious as to take our punishments and sins that we deserve would be our only escape from the wrath of God. Nor would we ever decide that the only way to expel our selfishness be to have life in another fill us with his divine love. We just don't think that way. That's not something man comes up with. And we certainly wouldn't think that we could only come to understand the truth of these concepts by God intervening in our hearts with his grace. This gospel is unique. In spite of what you often hear from people, that all roads lead to God, that all religions lead to God, this gospel is totally unique. I'm having trouble with my computer, so I might have to switch to notes. Yep, hard copy. That's why I always bring it. But this is actually the first time I've had to switch in years. That's interesting. Paul is defending the gospel of grace by sharing his testimony of how he received it. Uh, he didn't think this up. He didn't think of try to think of how am I going to create a religion that's going to attract people. On the contrary, it's foolishness, the scripture says, Paul wrote. It's foolishness to the Greeks to whom he was called to be as an apostle, to worship someone who was crucified. He's going to remind the Galatians about his about face, forsaking everything that was dear to him because of this revelation he received. Truly understanding this revelation of God's grace should have us putting Jesus first in our lives as well. And shouldn't our story of grace and how it's exhibited in our lives draw others to Jesus too? Our testimony is one of our greatest witnessing tools. People cannot deny our experience. Some of you have had almost dramatic a turnaround as the Apostle Paul did. 
you know, we can all say from that, that line in The Chosen, once I was one way and now I'm another, and what happened in between was him. Amen. It's hard to deny a person's personal experience of Christ. Even if your life was not so dramatically different, we can certainly speak of the love and the joy and the peace, the patience and kindness that's come into our lives because of that personal relationship with our Lord. And that counters the world's propaganda that Christianity is just a bunch of rules to make life boring. On the contrary, it fills life with meaning and excitement. Our testimony breathes the truth of the blessing of knowing Jesus. People can sense our sincerity and our earnest conviction. It's so different from those who share out of duty what they're taught to say. Verse 12, for I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's three years in the Syrian Arabia must have, must have been where he received much of his revelation of this gospel of grace. I, I kind of imagine him going over the scrolls in some, some uh, far-off synagogue and discovering the prophecies that match the details of Jesus' life. Now, he doesn't say that specifically. He just says he went in, into, the, into Arabia and where he got these revelations. But when we see Paul preach, he always preaches from the scriptures, meaning the Old Testament. And being such a, a rabbinical scholar, he would have gone to the word of God and say, how did I get this all so wrong? Where were my teachers so off base? that we could crucify our own Messiah. And so in examining the word of God, he came to see that so much of the Old Testament were types and pictures and shadows of the Messiah that was to come. And he started seeing the prophecies and the details of the prophecies and how they were fulfilled in, in Jesus' life. So after that time in the wilderness, Paul met with Peter and James for two weeks, for 15 days actually, and most likely learned a lot from the disciples um, in Damascus before he went to Jerusalem. But what he's saying here is he first saw it in the word of God as Jesus revealed the scriptures to him. We will see an example of, of some of the types and shadows that he was that had, he had a revelation from even later in this letter. The prophecies suddenly just all came together as he read them with the understanding that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And that's how we should read the Old Testament too. In fact, Jesus tells us to do that. He says, the law and the prophets and the Psalms are about me in Luke chapter 24. The fact that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ doesn't mean that, that we could see our inability to be righteous, but also that the Old Testament scriptures declare in various ways things about the coming Messiah. Verse 13, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. This complete about face is what makes Paul's testimony so powerful. He was determined to stop this new movement 
of Jesus' followers and have them either stoned or put into jail. And he oversaw the stoning of Stephen. We see that in Acts chapter 7. He was certain that the followers of Jesus were distorting Judaism, corrupting it. And he, he probably reasoned something like this. If this man Jesus was the Messiah, then where's the kingdom of God he was supposed to usher in? He felt he had to, that it was his duty to stop this dangerous sect. And nothing short of a divine revelation could so instantly changing, change this man from being the church's greatest enemy to its greatest evangelist. No wonder he could write that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And I think if he could have read John Newton's song, song, Amazing Grace, he would have loved the line, I once was blind, but now I see. Because it was part of his conversion experience. When Jesus revealed himself, he became blind. And until he really got it and the brother came, Ananias, sent by the Lord and laid hands on him, could he then see as the scales fell from his eyes. Verse 14, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. He was the, the up-and-coming rabbi of his day. He had so much to take pride in. He, his rabbi was one of the famous rabbis of the time, Gamaliel. And so being so deep into it, so proud of it, he, people must have thought, that guy's impossible to win. That guy has no hope of becoming a Christian. Just stay away from him. You might get killed, right? Isn't it amazing how God can take anyone and turn them around, amen? But then Jesus appeared to him when he was on his way to arrest and imprison the Jesus followers in Damascus. And that appearance turned his whole world upside down. And I imagine if someone you knew who died was standing in front of you, shining brilliant light, telling you they had a mission for you, you'd your world would probably be turned upside down too, amen? After God's messenger Ananias laid hands on Paul and commissioned him, his life was totally transformed. He instantly gave up everything he had worked for all his life. The things that were taught to him, all he thought he knew. And he came to realize this new kingdom isn't a physical kingdom. It's in the hearts of men and women who receive Christ as their king. I had a, a similar awakening. Awakening. I, I realized that what I had dedicated my life to for seven years was a lie. And I thought to myself, how can I ever know the truth? And in striving to serve God with my whole being, I was teaching a lie from hell. People had been hurt by my zeal for what the group I was in taught. And it was so sudden and dramatic that I thought the only thing I could do was end my life. Fortunately, someone rescued me, but my Ananias, that God sent to me didn't show up for about a year. He was a missionary in Japan who lived by faith. His name was Dennis Turner. And he put my feet back on the rock. Verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, 
You know what? If you're in Christ today, you can claim the same thing. He knew you before you were born and he set you apart. God set you apart just like he did the Apostle Paul. Paul had done nothing to deserve being called. He did have a zeal for God, but it was totally misguided. God knows the course that we're going to take and he uses everything in our life to prepare us, humble us, and help us be dependent on him alone. Paul tells us how unworthy he saw himself in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. And that, that experiences made him completely humble and dependent on God. God has designs for our lives. The psalmist declared that every day of your life was written in his book before one of them came to be. The prophet Jeremiah declared the same thing, that even before he was formed in the womb, God knew him. Is it only a special few or is it not true of each person who chooses Christ? And if so, how does our free will and God's desire that none perish fit in with it all? That's a mystery to me. I only know that God knows the end from the beginning and he is always completely just in all that he does. First part of verse 16 says that God was pleased to reveal his son to me or to reveal his son in me. I'll talk about that difference in translation in a minute. The highest calling a human can have, an incredible display of grace for God to reveal his son through you. This is the call of every born-again Christian. It's the call of every one of you here today to reveal God's Son through your life to other people. Paul taught that we are to be crucified with Christ and let him live in us. Jesus said he would make his home in us. Listen to how Paul expressed this thought in his letter to the Romans, applying it to all believers. This is Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I love that verse. Because it says the same thing Paul's saying here about all of us. He knew us before we were born. And his goal is to change us into the image of Christ. Could there be a higher goal than to be like Christ? I often hear a sense of hopelessness from people regarding being a witness of Jesus' life. But this is why we're given the Holy Spirit. God wants to reveal Jesus through us, through our lives. Of course, it's in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Paul explains more in, in earlier in that chapter, Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who doesn't have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If you're in Christ, you have this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God in you, who enables your life to be a witness by the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's not saying you, you have to be an evangelist or a pastor or some, a missionary in some foreign field, but that your life will testify to the power of God to transform us and make us more like Jesus. The ESV translated that Greek word, uh, the Greek word "n," to our English word too. And I'm not really sure why they did that. I tried to understand it, but everywhere else in the Bible, N is translated, the Greek word N is translated to or through. In other words, he's pleased to reveal his son in you and through you. It's true that the son was revealed to Paul, but that takes away the power of the declaration that's being made here. The life of Christ is being manifested through Paul to preach Jesus among the Gentiles. You know, we can have a revelation, but without the life of the Spirit to convey it, we're ineffective. I noticed, you know, before I went into ministry, I, I loved to listen to men preach, and, and I would watch for, I was trying to think, why is that guy's message so powerful and this person's so dry? because the content's not all that different. Their messages always contain the simple gospel, but the power and the connection with the audience came because of the life of Christ in the speaker. The words came with the power of the Holy Spirit. Two people can preach the same message, and one can be filled with life, and the other as dead as can be. It's like reading the Bible. You know, sometimes you read the Bible, and you go, oh, yeah, I've read this a million times, and it's dry as cracker dust 10 miles from a glass of water. And then another day you read the same passage, and depending on the Holy Spirit as you read it, and you just find it to be a fountain of life. And you go, why didn't I ever see these things before? God's talking to me, little old me. He's talking to me through the word. And you're excited and filled with that life that comes from it. The deciding factor in our witness is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in us or in the recipient. The rest of 16 and 17. In order, he's pleased to reveal his son in me. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul took three years in Syrian Arabia to just examine the scriptures from the perspective that Jesus is the Messiah. He saw the man Jesus, who was executed, now appearing to him brighter than the sun. And Jesus told them that he's, he is that man who was crucified and that he has a mission for Paul's life. And like I said before, if that happened to any of us, wow, it would totally change the rest of your life. 
So then Ananias came with that message of God, restored Paul's sight, told him Jesus ordered him to go bring his name to the Greeks and to kings and to the Jews. Could you say no after that? But the Lord also told Ananias that Paul would be shown how much he would have to suffer for Jesus' name. It, it almost seems like Paul had no choice in the matter. He could have tried to run like Jonah attempted to do, but God always has the final say. Paul had been living in the hope before his conversion, when his name was Saul, he'd been living in the hope of the Messiah coming. And now he finds that all he once thought was true about the Messiah needed to be reexamined. The followers of the man from Galilee were right, and he, with all his elite education, was wrong. Sometimes a very similar revelation hits modern man. Our goal isn't as lofty as Paul's was, but we, we just want the American dream, right? We want to be comfortable and have our gadgets and, and uh, like this computer that's not working <laughs> and this cell phone and make sure our retirement is well padded. So we work and we work, we neglect our family, we live selfishly, and one day Jesus shows up. And suddenly we find we wasted so much of our time living for things that soon pass away. We've realized half of the things we worked for are already in the landfill. Eternity stretches out before us and the love of God beckons us to step into the arms of Jesus, the one we've ignored all our lives or tried to ignore. And then little by little, he starts to send us off with a new purpose and fill our hearts with his love for others, ridding us of old habits and replacing them with new ones. I wonder if the change would not be more sudden and powerful if maybe we took the time like the Apostle Paul did to really examine the word and know what we believe. What does the Bible really teach us and what are we to do about it? What is God directing us to do? Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem, this is verse 18, to visit Cephas, which is Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I like what Archdeacon Evans' description of Paul as he returned to Jerusalem after those three years of being away. He writes, and try to picture this, what a wave of emotion smote his heart when after three years of absence, Paul caught the first distant view of the temple, that house of sacrifice, that edifice of prophecy. He now knew the picture presented by its sacrifices had been realized, its prophecies had been fulfilled. And as he approached the gates, he might have walked past the very spot where he assisted in the death of Stephen. And he entered them perfectly content, were it God's will, to be dragged away to the same fate. When he entered the city, what deep thoughts were suggested by the haunts of his youth? 
and by the side of those spots where he had so eagerly sought that knowledge which he had now so eagerly abandoned. What an intolerable burden he had cast off. He felt as a glorified spirit may be supposed to feel on revisiting the scenes of its fleshly sojourn. Wow. That's a great description. Paul only spoke with Peter and James for a couple of weeks. I imagine he was so hungry to hear the details that Peter could share of, his, of Peter's three years with Jesus. I imagine they had some very light nights with Paul asking all these questions. The accounts of Jesus' life seem to have only strengthened the conviction in what Paul had received by revelation and the conclusions he reached from the word of God. Man, I would have loved to have been there during that, those weeks, wouldn't you? And listen to those conversations. And how much of Paul's writings were affected by those two weeks of fellowship. You know, you can read the Gospel of Mark, which is probably Peter relaying to Mark about his, his time with Jesus. We can read that little short Gospel in a half a day at, at the most. Imagine two weeks listening to Peter and James share about the things that Jesus said and did that aren't recorded in the Bible. In fact, Paul even shares one quote from Jesus that's not in the Gospels. In Acts 20.35, it is more blessed to give than receive. That had to come from this time. We know of Jesus' brother James from being mentioned here and in the book of Acts as the leader of the Jerusalem church, but the Bible really doesn't tell us much about him. He was called James the Just. And if we're to believe extra biblical writings, he was an austere man with long unshorn locks and beard. People vied to touch the hem of his garment, hoping to be healed. He's said to have prayed for rain and ended Palestinian droughts. Droughts. He was martyred after preaching in the temple about the return of the Son of Man to judge the world. The religious leaders threw him from a precipice, and for centuries a pillar marked the place where he died in the valley of Jehoshaphat. After Paul met with Peter and James, he went north through Syria to his home region of Cilicia, no doubt proclaiming the truth that had been revealed to him in the place where he grew up. He must have been preaching against some of the things he had once proclaimed there, setting the record straight. And we've seen former New Age leaders return to Sedona to tell their disciples that Jesus is Lord. Verse 22 and 23, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. The churches of Judea in Christ did not meet him, but they heard the testimony, how he was transformed, and they glorified God. Paul's point is that it was Jesus who revealed the, the proclamation that he preaches, not his own idea. It was through revelation of the word and Jesus personally teaching him by revelations with only minor input from the apostles. That, it, that is how his doctrine developed. Verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. We glorify God today. When an ISIS member 
has a revelation of Jesus and becomes a pastor. And that's happened more than once, from persecutor to being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. The son of the founder of Hamas is a bold witness for Jesus today. He had to flee the West Bank and now lives in California. There are many testimonies of Jesus revealing himself to some of the most violent persecutors in our world today and turning them into a testimony of God's great grace. Amen. Voice of the Martyrs magazine has regular accounts of such testimonies which cause us to glorify God too. They're powerful apologetic for the truth of the gospel. And our lives should be as well. Every sinner saved by grace is a rebel transformed into a testimony, thereby showing that God prefers to save his enemies than to destroy them. We have some incredible transformations like the testimony you heard in the call to worship. And many of us can relate to Paul's declaration, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Praise God for his merciful grace. Amen. Amen.